Welcome to the Prophetic Collective Podcast. My name is Stacey and I'm so excited that you are joining me for season two of this podcast where we talk all things living a prophetic life. We have so many great conversations coming up, all purpose to equip and inspire you and to get you thinking about how God might be speaking to you and through you today. Yes, you. So let's go. Welcome to the Prophetic Collective Podcast Season 2. To kick off this brand new season, we are going on an 11 episode journey where we answer one of life's most defining questions. What is worship to you? Is it slow songs during a church service? Is it only for people who can sing? What if worship was more than a song and more than an experience within the four walls of the church? What if there was more to worship even than what we have experienced so far? What if we could unlock the fullness of worship and see it transform our everyday lives? These are the questions that Stacey tackles in her first book, Worship Is. These are also the questions we will tackle in this collection. And available to you today, as valued listeners of the Prophetic Collective, is a very special offer. Head to stacyhillier.com and purchase your very own copy of Worship Is using the code Prophetic Collective, all in caps, and you will get free express postage. Also available to podcast listeners is a free workbook that you can complete as you join in this Worship Is collection. Designed to be used with both the book and podcast collection, you can download your free copy at stacyhillier.com under the free resources tab. Well, hi everyone and welcome back to the Prophetic Collective podcast. I am so pleased that you are continuing with me on this Worship Is collection. And you know we're operating from the foundational principle that we cannot live a prophetic life without first living a worshipping life, a life laid down in worship to Jesus. And we've looked at some incredible topics so far and I'm so enjoying your feedback. I'm loving hearing how you're using the workbook and that it's helping you draw closer to Jesus. That's the whole goal. And so we've looked at so far, worship is biblical, worship is medicine, worship is a weapon, worship is freedom, worship is stillness. And today I'm going all Greek on you. We're looking at worship is pneuma. And this is probably one of the most pivotal chapters in the book when it comes to my own personal journey in the prophetic and in worship. And I'm going to share about an experience of my life that has really shaped who I am as a person, my theology, my passion for the prophetic, and the spiritual battle that has actually been over my life to see that calling come to pass. And so please do continue to rate and review this podcast because all that does is helps us get the word out to more people who might be looking to know how to live a prophetic life. And I'll share in a moment my story of I didn't know any other prophetic people. And this is one of the goals of this podcast is that people might go, there are other people just like me out there because we are designed for community. And one of the things I've noticed in leading the prophetic pillar in a community at my home church, Numa Church, um, is that often prophets can feel 
alone, like they're the only one who thinks and feels the way they feel. And that's totally biblical. We see that in the Bible. I'm passionate about creating community, about creating a collective of revelation together. The Bible talks about we prophesy in part. And I'm so passionate about bringing your part, my part, the mate down the roads part, the prophet from the other church's part. Because as we put all of our parts together in community and relationship, here in this collective even, we create a fuller picture of who Christ is to the world. And so I really do pray that you are feeling and hearing through the two seasons of this podcast so far. I'm not alone. This is the normal way that Christ wants to operate in and through us in the prophetic. So on to today's caption. My other caption of worship is Numa. There's no way I could leave this one out. I love this quote from Bono. He's the lead singer of U2, my husband's absolute favorite. He said this, religion can be the enemy of God. It's often what happens when God, like Elvis, has left the building. A list of instructions where there once was conviction, dogma where once people just did it, a congregation led by a man where once they were led by the Holy Spirit. I love it. So good. And in fact, that's a pretty good summary of one of the warnings that Paul gives us in Galatians 5. Well, have you ever heard the term Baptocostal? It's a combination of two words that are rarely put together, Baptist and Pentecostal. Now, some of you listening might say, uh, that's an oxymoron. Some others might say those two words should never go together. Or perhaps if you're like me, this is a great description of your denominational background and experience. As I reflect on this later in life, it's actually a better description of my home environment than it was of my childhood church experience. But when you're a kid, you kind of think the way things are at home is the way the whole world works. Have you noticed that? Well, as a child, I didn't realize that there was actually an incongruency between how my family's faith was expressed and lived out in our home and how others we did life with and loved within the church family felt about the Holy Spirit. And this was particularly odd to me because my parents were the senior pastors of this church. So you would think that their theological convictions and beliefs, the way they lived their life in Jesus, would become the predominant way that their church community would also express their faith through my dad's teaching, through my mum's worship leading, through all the various avenues. And to be honest, that's actually thought, we actually thought that's how we were living. But we found out the hard way, the crash landing kind of way that there was quite a gap between what was being taught and modeled and what people actually believed. Let me backtrack a bit. I was the kid. I'm the middle of five children, number three. And I was the kid who loved to get up early every Sunday morning. And I would sit in the back of my dad's Suzuki Swift as he drove to church. And he would practice his sermons on the way to church. I would sit in the back, listen to the points. I would imitate him in my mind. I was basically having a preaching masterclass every Sunday morning. And we had a 25-minute drive from our house to the church. And it was on one of these mornings that we drove past a brand new, a very progressive, contemporary, uh, multi-story building that had just been built close to our church. Now, this was during the late 80s and I was about 10 years old and I had never 
seen a building like it, certainly in the city of Brisbane. It was architecturally super interesting. It was built along the edge of an amazing green belt that ran right through several inner city suburbs of Brisbane that was predicted to be a great growth belt. And in fact, it was. So this morning, we drive past the office building and underground car park, which would house a new up and coming IT business. Even that, that it had an underground car park was like revolutionary. And as we drove past, I instantly knew that that building would one day be our church. Now, if you've listened to my episode on the different ways we receive God's voice, one of the ways we receive prophetic messages can be as a knower, not N-O-A-H, a K-N-O-W-E-R. And sometimes that's how God works with me. And this is what he did in me as a child. I just knew instantly that that building was going to be our church. In fact, I thanked God in my own childish words for the fact that that IT company had built that building just for us. Now, how did I know to do this? I'm actually not sure. I had no idea what was going on spiritually at that moment, but it felt as natural as breathing to me to hear messages from God like he was whispering right in my ear and to just thank him for what he told me. That felt so natural to me. And so I casually interrupted my dad, who was in the middle of his sermon monologue and said something childish along the lines of, that building's going to be our church one day, dad. Isn't it so great that they built it for us? And he was pretty engrossed in his sermon preparation. He didn't pay much attention. I'm not sure if he locked it away. We've since talked about this story and gotten quite emotional over it, really. But every week following that moment for the next eight or nine years, as we drove past that building on our way to church, and sometimes we would drive past six times a day, including the to and fro from the services and meetings, and I would gaze every time at that building with excitement, wondering when it would finally be ours. My faith did not waver over the years because it was still childlike. I just knew the day was coming and I knew every week we were a, we were a week closer to taking possession of that building. So let's fast forward to my late teens. Cue spooky music. Anyone else want to talk about their late teens with a background track of doom and gloom? Well, mine was. God was actually doing some very powerful things in and through mum and dad's ministry and the church. The church was becoming a real home for many young families as that growth belt did explode. God was reviving people's hearts in a powerful way. We'd started new services. We'd seen many unsaved people coming into the church, marriages restored, people delivered out of the church of Satan. That's a whole other episode. But isn't it true that growth often brings with it the pain of change and that people process is very differently? Sam Chand has a whole book on leadership pain that our pain tolerance is often the lid of how far our leadership and our influence can grow. Well, our church building that we were in was actually a well-known heritage listed building in the city of Brisbane. It had a stunning pipe organ. Yes, I grew up in one of the only churches in Australia that had a glorious pipe organ. Now, there was only one woman in our whole church community who could play it. So most of the time it was ornamental. But when she did play it, it was absolutely fascinating. The problem was we were outgrowing this heritage building and we weren't allowed to extend or change even the facade or the structure of the building because of its heritage listing. So the church leadership began to pray about what we would do. And it was during this season of prayer and seeking direction that one of the elders received a prophetic message from God about what we were to do. Now, you're all prophetic people listening to this. So you're like, we know what's going to happen. 
You guessed it. God was leading us through his prophetic word through this man to believe for the purchase of that revolutionary building I mentioned earlier. It even happened that following this revelation, the building just so happened to come up for sale within a few weeks. And the area, as I mentioned, had begun to boom. And it was such a popular suburb. I mean, this thing was pregnant with potential and it was so exciting for me. Now, in the Baptist movement, any purchases or changes need a member's vote. So this humble, godly man, with the support of my parents, brought his written prophetic word to a member's meeting. If you've ever sat in a Baptist member's meeting, they can be, well, they're a lot. They're extra. And this was the beginning of a very long and painful season for our family, for that man and for his beautiful wife and for our church family. What had not been apparent for 13 years of doing life with these people, I grew up in front of these people, was that many of them were of the cessationist school of theology. Now, in its most simplistic form, cessationism is the belief that spiritual gifts, including the gift of prophecy, came to an end with the death of the original apostles. So if you believe that, what do you do when someone brings a prophetic word? (laughs) What do you do when a man who's grown up in the church came to that church as a boy with his parents, delivers a prophetic message? Well, what happened was he brought it to the members meeting. And the differences began to surface in hostilities. Terrible things were said as people operated out of fear. And subsequently, my parents' ability and authority to lead the church was also brought into question because of their belief that this was indeed a word from God. Now, due to my age and stage of life, uh, here's where you cue that music, I had already begun wrestling with my faith. And sadly, I was quietly rebelling against God and my parents. So it was a damaging time for this to occur. I believed with all of my heart that this was a word from God, not just any word, a word he had spoken to me as a young child who naively thought that God's word would excitedly and gratefully be received by our whole church family. Sadly, though, within six months, our church split. My parents were out of a job. My heart was broken. I was scared. I was so angry. I was thinking things like, if this is what hearing from God looks like, I don't want anything to do with it. I thought, as for church, they can all get stuffed, if I'm really honest. That was what I was thinking. If this is how you treat people who have loved and served you for 13 years, you can take a hike. I was not interested. And to make matters worse, within months, this man's wife, who was my mother's best friend, was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer that took hold of her body. She graduated to heaven within 12 to 24 months. Um, And the accuser used people to declare that this was punishment for being a false prophet. It was a very dark and a very sad time in our lives. And I learned that prophecy was dangerous and that people were cruel and that their love was conditional. And I spiraled into a full rebellion against God and church It's a period that I would now call a deep, dark depression, and it was a return to my childhood anxiety. I didn't know which way was up anymore, and I didn't care to try and figure it out. I was done. My parents had to move into state to get another job. They took my two little sisters with them. I remained in Brisbane. I'd just gotten engaged to my now husband, Jai, and in what should have been one of the happiest seasons of my life, I struggled to understand God the Holy Spirit, 
and what my purpose was. If this was church, I didn't want to know about it. If this was what hearing from God would cost you, I didn't want to know about it. And this season culminated on my wedding day and the period of my forced stillness where I got chronic fatigue. And ultimately, my confusion and searching led me back to God in a more intimate way than before, because trying to live without him, trying to drown out his voice that had been as natural as breathing to me before during that time was painful and it was dark and it changed something in me that wasn't good. I sinned against God in my anger and disappointment in church and people in ways I'm not proud of and I had to seek forgiveness. I ran from God instead of running to him. I wallowed in my own pain. I behaved in ways that weren't pretty. But here is the gift of that time. I cannot and I will not live without his presence in my life for another day ever. Even if it means people understand me or say unloving things about me. And this conviction grew in my heart in my early 20s as I wrestled with this and came through this dark period. And my ministry and my life is marked by this conviction today. I will never try to silence the voice of God in my life again because I need it. And David's words became my testimony. Psalm 51 verses 10 to 12. This is after his sin with Bathsheba. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now, when David refers to his fear, when he says, cast me not away from your presence, take not your Holy Spirit from me because of his sin, which we read about in 2 Samuel 11, the Hebrew word he uses for Holy Spirit is the word ruach, and it means breath or wind. And it was the Ruach of God that created us in the world we live in. It was the Ruach that led Ezekiel into the Valley of Dry Bones that ultimately transformed the corpses into a vast army. And we know from an earlier episode that King David had seen firsthand what the Spirit of God departing from a man's life could look like. He was the man who administered musical medicine to King Saul. He saw Saul before the spirit. When the spirit rushed on Saul, the Bible says he became like another man in a good way. But then David got to see what a life devoid of the spirit looked like. And he never wanted that to happen to him. And this is the testimony of my life. Without the spirit, without God's voice, I literally became paranoid, delusional, sick in my body, broken in my heart as I rejected the Holy Spirit. But when filled with the Spirit of God, I'm a better woman in every way and I will never go back no matter what it costs me. You know, in the New Testament Greek, this word ruah is translated pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, and it means wind, breath, and spirit. And this word is used 104 times in the Gospels, 72 times in the book of Acts, 146 times in Paul's letters, and 37 times in the general letters. 26 times in Revelation alone. So that's a total of 385 times in the New Testament. So we can see just from that, that this word is of huge importance in the Bible, but also in our lives. And you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, my home church is called Numa Church. We spell it N-E-U-M-A, but it's based off this word Numa because we're a church of the breath, the wind, and of the Holy Spirit. 
Isn't it amazing that I came from a completely pneumophobic environment and damage <laughs> to a church that is called Numa Church because of its mandate to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in making disciples across the nations? And here's the absolute God-only cherry on top. I now lead the prophetic pillar and I spend my life training, empowering and releasing young and developing prophets, creating community for seasoned prophets, um, staying in touch and learning and sharpening one another in both prayer, worship and ministry and prophetic ministries. It just is wild how God turns all things around for his good. I would not have the convictions I have about a podcast like this, about prophetic community, about no prophet in our house ever feeling left out, but knowing they're embraced and celebrated and loved. I would not have that conviction if I had not lived to this experience. So God really does turn all things around for our good. Dan McCollum says when speaking of the battle for the prophetic on his life, that conflict and criticism will either enlarge you or shrink you. Let me read that again. Conflict and criticism will either enlarge you or shrink you. Now, I allowed it to shrink me for a few years, but now my choice daily, even the motivation for this podcast, I am going to enlarge my capacity to house the spirit of God, to operate in the prophetic, and I'm going to enlarge the revelation of this across the earth. And I'm going to enlarge the believer's understanding that they can operate in the spiritual gift of prophecy, and it will encourage, edify, console, and build God's church. So through careful studies of the scriptures and a balanced reading of varying theological standpoints, some deep soul searching and healing, I believe that spiritual gifts are still very much on the menu right throughout God's word. And that worship devoid of the Holy Spirit can very easily become religious ritual. Now, when it comes to the biblical role of the pneuma of God in our worship, both personal and corporate, there's two stories side by side in John's gospel, one involving Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. And then in chapter four, Jesus and a woman who's drawing water at a well in Samaria. And in these accounts, Jesus makes two statements about the pneuma that affect the way we worship today. So let's dig a little bit deeper into the scriptures. A bit of context first. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, which is a ruler of the Jews and a member of the Sanhedrin who came to interview Jesus at night. Now, some believe this was to avoid crowds. Others believe, and I'm probably more here, um, believe it was because he was seeking answers and hiding his belief in Jesus Christ and fellow Pharisees. In other words, he was bound by fear of man. Either way, here we find Jesus teaching Nicodemus about spiritual birth under the cover of darkness. And it actually all messes with Nico's noodle a little bit because it's nothing like he's ever read or heard of. And it doesn't seem possible to him in the natural. And he's bound by the greater reality being the natural reality. Let me open the scriptures with you. John chapter 3, verse 4. I'm going to read through to verse 8. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
Notice that the word pneuma appears five times between verses four and eight. And I want us to focus on that final verse, verse eight, that says the wind, the pneuma blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the pneuma. Now, theological commentators tell us that the wordplay contained here is actually our English language is inadequate to describe the depths of what is trying to be communicated here by John. But in its simplest form, what he's trying to say is something like this. The work of the spirit is invisible and mysterious like the blowing of the wind. And so what Jesus was saying to Nico and what he's saying to us today is that while we can all see the effects of the wind in both the natural and the spiritual realms, we cannot control it, nor should we seek to. Now, this could have been either liberating or terrifying for Nicodemus, and it's the same for us today. Nicodemus was a man who taught the law, lived by the law, and upheld the law. How do you contain the wind within the law? The answer is, you can't. And this is why people often make the choice to stay within the comfort and safety of neat boxes, religious rules, rather than getting out of the way to let the Holy Spirit have his say. I'm going to make a big statement here. It comes from a heart of love. Anyone who suffers with control issues will struggle with the Holy Spirit because he is not to be controlled. And to resist the work of the Holy Spirit is to run against the wind of the Spirit rather than to run with it at your back. I love thinking about the metaphor of the Holy Spirit is like the wind in the sails of a yacht. It's like we're the little sailboats who with humble trust and expectation, we set our sails to the Holy Spirit wind and then our lives gather speed and momentum for the kingdom. And this is what grace should feel like. To follow God's calling into all he has for us, it's not always easy, but even in the hard things, we should feel the ease and the joy of the journey as the pneuma carries us along. I have heard so many people, especially in the movement I grew up in, and I want to honor the movement I grew up in. I'm so grateful for what I know about the word. I'm so grateful for how passionate they are for souls. I honor the Baptist church and every family and pastor within it. I'm so grateful I grew up in it and I'm so grateful for their work today. And I'm actually totally fine. And so are my friends. I've got friends who are pastors. My parents are still pastors within the Baptist church. I couldn't respect anybody more than these people. I love that Paul talks about there's unity within our diversity. We don't have to all agree on everything to love one another. In fact, our love is not tested until we don't agree. And so uh, my very best childhood friend, Baptist pastor, I am so proud of her. I love her and honor her so much. And her and I, there's unity in our diversity. We couldn't be more different if we tried. And yes, yet she's my best friend in the whole world. You know, I've heard so many people express their fear that following the Holy Spirit makes you weird and that it doesn't reflect much biblical truth and that even being prophetic or spirit-led is the market share of the spiritual lightweights and weirdos. makes me so sad because these fears keep people resisting the wind. And when Jesus talked about the kind of worship his father was looking for, this is the second account in John 4. I'm going to read it to you from my Bible. It says, Jesus speaking, but the hour is coming and is now here 
when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And again, you can hear the word pneuma saturated through this little passage here. Now, there is so much rich, amazing contextual truth in this passage that I'm not even going to attempt to cover here. But what I want us to notice is that there are two things the Father is actively seeking and looking for from his worshippers. And it's a combination, spirit and truth, pneuma and aletheia. Now, aletheia is the opposite of fictitious, feigned or false. In other words, not weird. Instead, it's spirit, pneuma, and it's aletheia, real, sincere, accurate, truthful and dependable. Now, one commentator explained that to worship in truth is worship that's doctrinally informed and directed towards Jesus, worship that affirms the realities of truth. I love that Ephesians 6.17 calls the word of God the sword of the spirit, the sword of the pneuma. And when Paul says the word of God, he uses the word rhema, which means the proclaimed or spoken word of God. So here we have again in Paul's writings, the combination of pneuma and rhema, the spirit and the word. And this combination is an absolute weapon. Holy Spirit-led worship does not have to be kooky. It can and should be completely grounded in scripture and therefore transformational. Prophetic ministry doesn't have to be weird and kooky. If it is, that's more likely the person's personality and a lack of revelation around what God is actually looking for through his prophets and worshippers. You see, when we pick up the sword in worship through prayer, declaration and melody, In our personal lives, as well as corporately, we literally slice through oppressive atmospheres, cut things off our lives that don't need to be there, and we do it all right alongside the Holy Spirit. I absolutely love to chase the wind in my worship. Sometimes Holy Spirit moves fast. Sometimes he's still. He's never stagnant. We've talked about that. Sometimes he's still. In Galatians 5, Paul paints this beautiful word picture when he talks about staying in step with the Spirit. When my son River was a little boy, he used to love to play this game Shadows. That's where we would walk in front and he would try to stay in our shadow and we would leap and jump and spin and try and make it fun for him. This is the exact word picture that Apostle Paul is painting when he says stay in step with the Spirit. The original language means stay right up on the shoulder of the Holy Spirit. Stay right in his shadow. Stop where he stops. Dance where he dances. Spin where he spins. And this is what prophetic life should look like. Right there on the shoulder in the shadow of the Holy Spirit step by step. One of my favorite things to do in my personal worship life is to sing off the page. What do I mean by this? I leave behind the words of the songwriter. I sing in my heavenly language. It's described in Ephesians 5, 18 to 19, when Paul instructs the church in Ephesus not to get drunk with wine, but to be filled with the spirit, to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual pneumatical songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now think about wine for a moment. Wine influences the way we think and act. Well, the pneuma of God does the same thing. 
It intoxicates us to the point where words of love and thanks, messages of revelation straight from God's heart to his children pour out of us. Worship is pneuma. And you can't have operating in the spiritual gift of prophecy without the pneuma. The pneuma is the storehouse, the giver. The Holy Spirit is the giver of all of those gifts. Okay, for those who are following along in the workbook, I've provided you with some prompts here. Some of the processing I've really had to do because we can only operate within the boundaries of our own beliefs. We can only operate within the boundaries of our own convictions about who God is, how the Trinity works, how the Holy Spirit works. So I've provided a prompt for you and left you some journaling space that asks this, what kind of church environment did you grow up in? Was it an environment that embraced the Holy Spirit? Then I ask you to even go a little bit deeper. Deeper. What about your family of origin? How did they talk about the prophetic? How did they talk about the Holy Spirit? And how does that affect the way you worship today? You'll be surprised at what you unpack with the Holy Spirit. One of the last things in the workbook I ask you to reflect on is, do you want to grow in this space or does losing control scare you? Does the fact that you can't contain the wind, does that terrify you because you like to have everything under control? Well, you're not living in the fullness of Christ. There's so much more for you. And the prophetic life is the adventure of a lifetime. I'm going to finish with a vision that I had on my summer holiday a couple of years ago. I was on the rooftop, nothing between me but air, Um, me, air and ocean. Stunning. And I was asking the Lord, what, what do you want to frame this year? How do you want it to look? And I immediately went into a vision. And in this vision, I was walking along a path and there was a leaf on the path in front of me. And it was a beautiful leaf. And I went to pick it up. And just as I went to pick it up, the wind picked it up and it went off tumbling, spinning in the air. And then it landed on the ground up in the distance. So I ran up and tried to pick it up again. And again, this process was repeated. The wind picked it up and it spun and cartwheeled off. And this repeated over and over again. And the whole time I was laughing with such joy as I was trying to catch this leaf. This is what life following the spirit of God looks like. It's joyous. It's an adventure. And just when you think you catch up with what the Spirit is doing, He takes off again. And there is nothing like it. Well, thank you so much for joining me for another episode today. Worship is Numa. Next week, we get real people. We're talking about another caption Worship is face to face. And that will bring us to halfway through this collection. I would love to hear from you on social media. Big love to you. Talk soon. Bye. Did you know that Stacy also has a guided prayer podcast? Contemplative prayer is a rich, deep, and rewarding way to encounter Jesus and the scriptures. With instrumental scores written to empower your encounters with Jesus, these prayers are a chance to be still and to step out of the hustle of today's fast-paced world. Available wherever you get your podcasts by searching Guided Prayers with Stacey Hillier.